This Week in KMA Land, Shen Council Inc.'s Wastewater Plant Land Purchase. EMS Essential Services vote delayed till November. Judge grants pipeline ordinance injunction. Page County Supervisors approve jail architect. Red Oak Council advances townhouse funding option. And we'll go inside a wonderful wonderthon. I'm Mike Peterson. Plans for a new wastewater treatment plant project in Shenandoah took a step forward this week. By unanimous vote, Tuesday night, the Shenandoah City Council approved the final purchase of 99.51 acres from Valley Farms Incorporated for over $1.9 million, located just north and west of the current wastewater treatment facility. Well, the city initially agreed to move forward with the purchase in September when they also approved plans for the improvement project itself. City Attorney Milan Sorensen says they originally underestimated the number of acres included in the parcels of land based on official survey results received late last month. On Beacon, you can estimate the acreage, and that's not what it came in at whenever we did the survey. And the survey is the official counter. We did not have a legal because we were splitting that property with, with uh, Johnson Run. So it was very difficult to determine what the number of acres would. We had no survey to show us what the number of acres would. We estimated at 86, it came in at 99. City Administrator A.J. Lyman adds the purchase still includes the agreed upon price of $20,000 an acre. While initially planning to buy only a portion of the land for the new footprint of the facility and outfall into the river, Lyman tells KMA News circumstances changed where it made sense to purchase the entire chunk of bed. In the course of that, um, we found out that uh, Valley Farms was liquidating their holdings, and then we found out about uh, the Green Plains Biocampus and the potential need for building additional water treatment facilities. Uh, the logical need to expand was kind of there. We knew we were already needing to purchase some land, so we decided to buy that whole chunk knowing that we might not need all of it. Maybe we will eventually farm it out. He adds the extra land would also reduce dirt haul expenditures for the wastewater improvement project, while unused portions could generate revenue via leases as row crop land. Lyman says the land purchase is one of the final pieces before taking the improvement project out for bid. Plans call for replacing the existing six-decade-old sewer plant with a new facility that's up to date with current federal and state wastewater guidelines. It is very good at what it does and what it was designed to do. It is just not designed to treat to uh, what some of the modern DNR requirements are. Um, uh, specifically like total nitrogen is a, is a big effort right now by the state and, and nationally. Um, uh, a trickling filter, which is what we have, just doesn't remove nitrogen very well. It's just not designed to do that. Uh, this new plant that we'd be going to is an activated sludge style plant and it's, it's a lot better at removing that nitrogen. Yet the new plant would modernize and nearly double the city's wastewater treatment facility. Improvements also include a roughly five acre stormwater retention or equalization so when we have those large rain events and we have a lot of intrusion of water into our storm lines from old clay, like sewer lines from people's houses or whatever, we just get some groundwater in there, uh, we'll be able to handle a lot more of those high flow events uh, to, a, to a much more significant degree. Lyman says they're finalizing a land purchase to the east of the facility before the project goes out for bid. He hopes to finalize all the land purchases by the end of the year. 
It'll be next fall before a vote on making Page County's EMS services essential takes place. Representatives from EMS agencies throughout Page County held a town hall meeting Wednesday night at the Isaac Walton Lodge, outlining plans for a special election next year, designating the county's emergency medical services an essential service. Plans originally involved a special election March 5th on the designation and an associated $0.75 cent per thousand dollar valuation levy requiring a 60% plus one supermajority. Shenandoah EMS Director Ty Davison serves as the community's spokesperson on the issue. Davison says publishing issues pushed the election back to November 2024. The state made it very clear on the certain steps that have to be taken uh, in order for this whole process to go. And some things with just getting some things published the appropriate way of the campaign and what our plans and stuff are did not uh, get published out how they were required to. So things are just getting delayed. We are still going to push forward. We're still going to continue this whole process. Additionally, the Page County Board of Supervisors must approve a charter ahead of time to establish an advisory council overseeing Page County's EMS trust fund where all tax proceeds will be collected. Currently, the county doesn't allocate any money to EMS services, but Davison says the 75-cent levy would generate nearly $647,000 a year. That's compared to the projected $600,000 losses for Shenandoah Ambulance Service alone in fiscal year 2023. Davison says the biggest hit right now is staffing as services struggle to find volunteers and move towards full-time and part-time paid paramedics and EMTs, among others. Additionally, calls are rising, so Davison and says his agency tries to have four people available to respond 24-7, including at least two paramedics. I have to be able to provide 911 services with a bare minimum of one paramedic 24-7 to be able to respond to a 911 call. That's how we're licensed through the state. Now, when I bring that patient in and they have, they require a high level, higher level of care to go to a cath lab or something in Omaha or Lincoln, now I have to have a crew to be able to take them there, another paramedic at least, to be able to monitor and care for that patient for an hour and 15 minutes at a minimum to get to that higher level of care. While wages are the biggest hit for EMS departments, Davison says the hope is to have the revenues and the levy assist agencies, particularly the smaller ones, make large ticket and life-saving equipment purchases as prices continue to rise. The bare bones is about $200,000 plus um, kind of the standard now is to have it power lift and stuff under to reduce back injuries and that setup is 30 grand. 50, 30,000 for the cop and then uh, 20,000 for the rail system for it to go into. A life package is the defibrillator which we do 12 leads, we do blood pressure, we do full socks, we do quite a bit of other things on it. Those are in the upwards of $37,000. Currently, 11 other counties in Iowa have implemented the EMS essential service tax, including Shelby, while several others, including Guthrie, are voting within the next year. Following the delay, Davison says plans call for holding similar town hall meetings in many communities throughout the county in mid to late summer 2024. A major development this week regarding the contentious carbon pipeline issue. Chief Judge Stephanie Rose of the Southern District of Iowa issued an order Monday preventing Shelby 
Shelby and Story counties from enforcing ordinances adopted after two companies proposed building carbon capture and sequestration systems carrying CO2 and ethanol plants and other facilities. Shelby County's ordinance placed setback limitations from structures such as churches, schools, nursing homes, drinking water and wastewater treatment plants, and public parks and recreation areas while implementing daily $750 fines for not complying with the ordinance. Summit Carbon Solutions, which plans to build a pipeline spanning nearly 700 miles across the state, sued the two counties, arguing federal agencies regulated the safety of the pipelines while the Iowa Utilities Board governed their placement. Rose then granted the company's request for a summary judgment and permanent injunction against the enforcement of the county ordinances. Concerns of similar litigation were a factor in some KMA Land County's decisions to delay developing an ordinance. The Montgomery County Board of Supervisors, for example, uh, started the process until County Attorney Drew Swanson, during a July meeting, uh, asked for the board to table it due to the temporary injunction placed against Shelby County earlier this year. Bottom line, that order states very clearly and in extreme detail each instance of why each part of that ordinance, the Shelby County ordinance, is preempted by state or federal law. Our ordinance is virtually identical, and therefore we would wind up in the same situation um, as Shelby County is facing right now. Montgomery County's Jan Norris was among the residents urging the supervisors to implement a similar policy, primarily airing safety concerns over the pipeline and its proximity to buildings. Among other things, Norris's concerns have been expressed about plume and dispersion modeling shortcomings connected to pipelines. Citizens need to know the risk, and needed, they deserve to know how to take care of themselves. PHAST modeling has limitations. They emphasize there is no good data available on CO2. And scientists need more information, like experiments on infiltration, air exchangers, and what their limitations are. Summit still awaits a ruling from the IUB on its permit application following a weeks-long hearing earlier this year. And it's in the process of reapplying in North and South Dakota after initial rejections of their permit. The written order also ordered counties to cease enforcement of their minimum distance and safety requirements, give written notice to county employees of the injunctions, and prove they've complied with the order within 10 days. Planning for construction of Page County's new jail continues, and you'll be hearing that phrase a lot in the coming months. Meeting in regular session Thursday morning, the Page County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved selecting venture architects for the project's design and bid letting. Voters approved a $16.7 million bond issue last month, as you'll recall, to finance the new 19,700-square-foot facility and replace the current jail built in 1936. Jeff Curtis is general manager with Samuel Group, which the board tabbed as the construction manager for the project last month. Curtis's his company contacted six architectural firms with three sending back proposals. We have worked with all three companies. So it isn't like we think one is better than the other. Um, everybody, every one of them have their strengths. Everyone has their weaknesses. That's why we build a team. That way we have each other's backs and make sure everything's taken care of. Overall transparency and overall quality Again, when you look at that, all three firms are very good at that. Regarding fees, Venture came in with the lowest bid of 6.95% of the total project cost, while saying all three would be qualified for the job. Curtis adds Venture is widely considered the subject matter expert in detention center construction. They know what, what has to be done. 
In the qualifications, they also bring up that they've been in 69 different counties working on law enforcement centers, right? All throughout the Midwest. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Also, then when you look at their overall fee, when they did apple to apple to what they were asked to do, by far they come in mm, not quite a percent lower than Farnsworth, but a very economical. When you look at the overall value versus experience, again, Venture is the firm that stands out. A supervisor, Todd Mayher, thought the venture proposal was thorough and best fit their current needs. Mayher added Page County Sheriff Lyle Palmer believed venture would be the best option. Curtis says he'll forward the necessary paperwork to the board, County Attorney Carl Songson, and the Auditor's Office and schedule a pre-construction meeting with venture in the future. Red Oak officials took steps this week to secure funding for two major initiatives. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Red Oak City Council held a public hearing and by a 4 to nothing vote approved taking additional action on entering into a general obligation loan agreement authorizing the city to borrow up to $3.7 million. Action follows Studio One townhome officials proposing the construction of 33 market-rate rentable townhomes near 4th Street and Ratliff Road. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Silvius outlined where the GEO bond would cover. The purpose of paying the costs to the extent of one, acquiring and equipping a municipal fire truck, Two, constructing street, water system, storm water drainage, sanitary sewer system, and sidewalk improvements. And three, acquiring and installing street lighting, signage and uh, signalization uh, in pursuant to law. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Silvius. This week in KMA Land continues in just a moment. Though New Year's Eve is still a few weeks away, it was out with the old, in with the new for the Clarenda School Board this week. Wednesday marked the adjournment of the previous board and the last meeting for outgoing board members Darren Sunderman, Trish Bergeron, and Greg Jones. All three declined re-election bids in last month's general elections. Clarenda School Superintendent Jeff Privia told KMA News the district loses 24 years of experience with the retiring board members' departure. Privia says most of the board's focus the past year was on facilities. They were an integral part of trying to get a couple bond issues passed. Obviously, both those failed, but, you know, there's still a lot of hard work that goes into those to get them up and going and to get them on the ballot and to make a lot of decisions of what we want to look at and hiring SiteLogic to be our company to figure out what our plan needs to be and making that plan for the future. Succeeding the outgoing board members are newly elected members Patrick Hayes, Josh Wyman, and Mike Butt, who were sworn in at their opening meeting. Privius says all three are good representatives of the community. Mike is a person that works out at the hospital and has been heavily involved in the school system through some marketing things that he's done through the hospital. Josh Wyman owns the local car dealership here, and he has been heavily involved in our student activities, athletic, and running the uh, student activities athletics club uh, for Clorinda. And then Patrick Hayes has students in the elementary. By a four-to-one vote, the new board elected Scott Honeyman as its president for 2023-24. Honeyman, who voted for Butt, formally welcomed the newcomers. Congratulations. It's a more formal setting. Wyman was picked as the board's vice president by a three to two vote. Wyman and board member Paul Boyson voted for Hayes. 
You can find a lot of things on YouTube these days, from funny cat videos to Norma Jelly's Las Vegas videos, but not the Montgomery County Board of Supervisors. Board members said no bueno to placing its meetings on the popular social media site at its regular meeting Tuesday morning. Preliminary discussion regarding the video option took place at a recent board meeting. County Auditor Jill Ozuna says YouTube would not take the place of meetings carried via Zoom. YouTube is just a streaming platform which we could live stream to, but not without adding another layer of software between YouTube and Zoom. It would not take place of Zoom. The only benefit would be YouTube would be to add recordings after they're saved to Zoom and that they'd be out there and won't be deleted like our Zoom recordings because we can only we can only store so much. We only have so much space. Supervisors Chair Mike Olson questioned the wisdom of keeping past board member uh, board meetings rather on YouTube. I don't think we want to go on the World Wide Web I don't need and be there for eternity. I don't believe so. I, in my opinion. Wilson adds there's nothing in the Iowa Code requiring counties or municipalities to place meetings on YouTube or Zoom. Supervisor Sharla Smith expressed concerns about making the meetings available to all YouTube users. There's, I know a lot of things that are on YouTube that you can go and watch. So is it there forever? And can you limit who sees it? I mean, is there no? So anybody, so somebody in China can watch our meeting on YouTube. So I just have some concerns about security. I know it's we're a public entity and this is public, but I guess we have our process. If you really, if you need to, then you can you can find it. Supervisor Donna Robinson says the county has made a concerted effort to make meetings available to the public via Zoom, and she would like that to continue. Currently, Page and Pottawatomie counties are among those utilizing YouTube for board meetings. Nebraska City's Creative District has some big plans for the community in 2024. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Nebraska City City Council formalized a resolution using almost $116,000 in City Economic Development Plan growth funds for the Nebraska City Creative District. Funding allocated to the district allows for extending the city's flower bed program another four years and expands the baskets another four blocks on First Corso south of Central Avenue. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Nebraska City Mayor Brian Beckett says the program has helped the downtown area in more than one way. It maybe seems a bit expensive, but it's also paying for our local uh, nursery here, Grimm's Garden. They take care of those and tend those bump outs and baskets, and they actually use a gator during the summer to tow a water trailer. And when it gets hot, when it gets up in the higher 90s and triple digits, of course, those baskets are watered twice a day to keep them looking great. Beckett says the baskets have drawn positive comments from visitors. We get a lot of comments from our citizens and as well as our tourists coming in that it just really makes our historic downtown really pop with those and it really makes it kind of a walkable park. A lot of folks walk along the flower baskets just to walk along Central now. Beckett says the Creative District's 2024 plans include applying for $562,000 in state grant money for completion to the city's Veterans Memorial Building. The primary purpose, the biggest purpose, will be towards our Veterans Memorial Building to complete the commercial kitchen in the downstairs basement. 
and then to also do some more things around the stage to make it more usable for, I wouldn't say modern, but community theater to modernize that stage area, light, sound, things like that, so that it can actually be used for programs. Nebraska City is one of 21 communities statewide competing for grant money, which comes from Nebraska's arena tax. You can hear the full interview with Brian Beckett with the web story at kmaland.com as well as on our Morning Line page. Well, Christmas is truly the season of miracles. But enough about Travis Kelsey dating Taylor Swift. The Southwest Iowa Theater Group is attempting a mind-shaking feat with its latest production, the Holiday Channel Christmas movie Wonderthon. Now, it opened last night at the Park Playhouse in Shenandoah. Julie Murren directs this production, which spoofs the traditional Hallmark Channel holiday movies. Only they can't say Hallmark Channel. One thing that people always notice is the pattern in the plot lines. You see the same few romantic stories over and over with slight differences, like maybe a different actor and maybe a different character name. But a lot of patterns emerge. And this production has six couples with all of those favorite storylines all thrown into one Wonderthon. Burren assembled an all-star cast of 16, including actors, young and old. We've got a great mix of veteran actors, ones that you're going to see those familiar faces up on the stage that you've seen before. We've got some new faces as well. We've got um, age 14 up to, I won't mention um, what, what the oldest age is, but we definitely have young people and, you know, your more middle-aged couples as well, and they bring such a great contrast to each other. In addition to the six couples, there's one villain, a stereotypical red-headed friend, and two narrators holding the production together. Maybe. Caitlin Widger is one of the narrators. Widger says the narrators play an important role in this rollicking rock. I see them as the people that keep the show going. They keep it interesting. Um, They have a lot of humor and sarcasm. And without giving too much away, the narrators are many different characters. So that's a fun surprise if you come to the show. Widger's often chaotic co-anchor is Stana Wellar. I laugh about this. I told somebody this. It's like a director and an assistant director. Mm-hmm. The director is the one that's a little more calm and like, no, 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 we need to go by the book. And then the assistant director is like, nope, light fire on stage type thing. So that's kind of how I picture them. It's kind of funny. Yeah. If you missed it last night, Swiddick's production of the Holiday Channel Christmas movie Wonderthon takes place tonight and December 15th and 16th. That's next Friday and Saturday evenings at 730. And this Sunday and next Sunday at 5 p.m. Got it? Good. For reservations, call the Park Playhouse box office at 712-246-1061 or email swidick at swidick.org. And yours really did put together a video version of the story online at kmaland.com. One of KMA Land's legendary figures is looking back on his amazing career. We're in Iowa, basically, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Well, if you listen to KMA in the 1960s, you heard that jingle a lot, along with the voice of Jim Ross Lightfoot, who was among the many personalities gracing the airwaves. Lightfoot parlayed his radio career into a stint in Congress. Now he's sharing his story in his recently published memoir, Climbing Mountains with God. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Lightfoot says the book is about the importance of faith in helping meet life's challenges. That's what life is. It's a bunch of mountains. They uh, pop up in front of you, and you've got the choice of either trying to climb them or just sit on your fanny and do nothing. And if you don't 
get up and try and climb them. Sitting on your fanny is about all you're ever going to accomplish. Born in 1938 in Sioux City, Lightfoot graduated from Farragut High School in 1956. After service in the U.S. Army and Army Reserve, he worked for IBM as a customer engineer and was eventually transferred to Oklahoma where he later worked as a Tulsa police officer. Returning to southwest Iowa in the 1960s, Lightfoot joined KMA's Farm Department and stayed until 1984 when he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, serving until 1997. Lightfoot says he decided to write the book after recalling his father's stories. My dad had all these wonderful stories to tell about riding his pony to school and growing up during the Great Depression and being my mother uh, renting a four-room house and subletting two rooms so they had enough uh, enough money to live on. He farmed in the daytime and cut wood at night. She did sewing and so on. And you, all those years, almost 20 years at KMA, uh, I had a tape recorder sitting right beside me. And never once did I turn that recorder on and get any of those wonderful stories he had to tell. Lightfoot came to an epiphany of sorts in writing his memoir. As I was writing it, it occurred to me that, hey, I didn't do all this stuff. I was just a tool. You know, God used me to do it. And I believe that's that's kind of what life's all about. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So we're still working on it. Climbing Mountains with God is available through his website, jimrosslightfoot.com. There is a link with our web story at kmaland.com, where you can also hear the full Morning Line interview. It's also available on our Morning Line page. That wraps up This Week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMLand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land is a presentation of KMA News.